0: Hello, world. Hey. Hi. 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 Are you here? Hi. Hello. hello. Hi. It's like I've forgotten how to say hello. <laughs> Happy holidays, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the show. I'm your host and fellow producer, Carolina Gropa. So I will be taking two weeks off for the holidays, but I will resume with episodes on January 7th. I'm excited to kick off 2020 with my talk with producer extraordinaire, Kalia Neal so what are you guys doing for the holidays i'm actually staying in la my parents are coming here which is very nice both my brothers live here now and after a decade of me having to fly to florida to see them now everyone comes to me ha so i get the last laugh This week, I sat down with Emmy-nominated filmmaker Zan Aranda. She's a producer, she's a director, a showrunner, and a writer. We've been circling each other for a few years now, so this time together was a long time a-coming, and let me tell you, it was very worth the wait. Zan has been producing for 25 years, which is crazy considering how young she is, and I won't rattle on her long list of amazing credits. But most recently, she was a showrunner on season 1 of HBO's Room 104, alongside two men I fangirl over, Mark and Jay Duplass. She dropped some incredible insights left and right, and I walked away feeling reinvigorated and inspired to keep pushing on. At the time of this recording, to be perfectly honest, I wasn't having the best day, so this was a conversation I didn't realize how badly I needed. I hope it has a similar effect for you, and if it does, please let me know. Well, let's hear from Zan. Thank you for taking the time to sit and talk to me. This is exciting. I um, love, love, love doing this and love talking to fascinating people like yourself, women especially, and hearing about their journeys through this crazy industry but specifically through the umbrella of producing and understanding like the different career paths and i know from your resume you do more than just producing you also show run and you do all of this other stuff so i guess take me to the beginning like (laughs) your your journey here to this moment to this guest house this beautiful little guest house that is your office my
1: dream office yeah i'm in my dream office um for the last couple months it's i'm really just actively grateful for it um I was on location the other day and I had pulled an all-nighter Yeah, and it occurred to me in the, kind of the confusion of the wee hours, but yeah. you also get a lot of clarity and you're like, I yes. could stay up all day. Like, yeah, you're like there's no problem. To sleep. Maybe I'll start another task. <laughs> 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 um, but it occurred to me that I've been producing for 25 years. Wow. Because my birthday is also in January. So I was like, how old am I? What's happening? Hmm. Um, and I've been producing since high school. And I'm about to turn 44. I never meant to be a producer. Ever. <laughs> so how did you get here? I'm finally at peace with it. <laughs> <laughs> that you are one? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it comes naturally to me. And the first person who ever told me that I should do it was uh, a teacher of mine in high school.
0: Did you go to like a a school that was like a performing arts school? Like a magnet program? No. How do they... No. Say you producing.
1: When I was um, a junior in high school, midway through junior year, we uh, uh, left Chicago, where I grew up, and moved mm-hmm. to a tiny beach town in Southern California, in San Diego County. Yeah. And it had it was the polar opposite of my high school in Chicago, which had like cops and gangs, and you had to wear a badge on your chest, and it was close mm-hmm. campus. Um, and we moved to this this like surf skate high school. <laughs> where you could see the ocean from campus and we had block schedules and and I took what is still the best film history class of my life there Mm. as an elective and I'm still friends with my teacher. That's amazing. He was a U.S. history teacher but he taught uh, an elective film history class and it was brilliant and amazing and then there was a closed circuit student run television show Mm. that ran twice a week. And I had, since I was a child, I had wanted to be a photographer or cinematographer. Um, And then I wanted to become a director. And so, of course, I joined that uh, class. Yeah. My previous high school in Chicago, even in middle school, I was making a lot of comedy videos with my best friends and um, reenacting Saturday Night Live skits with my sister. We also, from our little suburb of Chicago, had a small, there's a small local radio station that like sunday nights late night it would play old Mm. dramatic radio shows from like old timey radio shows yeah and so she and i would also create these radio shows together and recreate dramas and do all the sound effects with ourselves and um i used to make like really elaborate mixtapes for my friends and (laughs) like edit you know yeah um like sound bits as interstitial uh comedy or drama between the songs i picked <laughs> for you and everything was themed out and as moments for my favorite uh movies and those kinds of things and so, how is it how is it received uh, we all considered them treasures <laughs> and this the comedies that i used to make with my sister or the dramas i used to make with my sister um i truly would give almost everything i have right now just for that cassette do you know what I mean? Like yeah. we, she and I were just on fire, <laughs> you know, but, um, so yeah, I would edit in camera in middle school with a VHS tape and stuff. So I had my high school TV show that I started to make sketches in and stuff, but my teacher mm-hmm. told me that I should produce the show and she has to every semester identify a producer and she told me that I should, and I didn't understand why or anything like that. But also that's where I learned to edit tape to tape. Mm hmm. Um, and so then also I got, a, you know, I, I've i been working since I was 14 years old. So my after school, I had two after school jobs in high school. One was that I was a cashier at a natural, natural food store. Mm. And the other was that I was um, editing wedding videos. Wow. At a tiny little production company in our town. Yeah. And that's kind of how I got started in like touching things and moving things and trying things. Mm. Um, so have I been a producer for 25 years? Yes and No.
0: You yeah. know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Like, But that's the first time somebody identified it. And then after that, I didn't plan on doing it again. And then when I was in film school in San Francisco, I was a student there. And I at some point saw a, a flyer up for, uh, it said short film, funded short film, shooting on 16, um, production meeting, whenever that was. and All are welcome. Mm. And I was like, oh, cool. I'll check it out. And I went, and you know, I was the only person, including the director, who showed up with paper, pen, and a calendar. Interesting. And this is in the 90s, so just a paper calendar. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. You don't have a... Nobody had it on their phone. (laughs) There were no phones. (laughs) Um, And by the end, I was producing it with him, you know? Yeah. And I think now, like, if I were to reflect on it, I think that I'm from a very large family. I'm the fifth of seven children. Wow. Um... We're all really responsible, but the really basic things that you need to be a producer are are present in growing up in a big family, which is that everyone needs something to do. Everyone needs to eat, a place to pee, you know, <laughs> like to be on time, not be on time. Like whatever, right. get along. Complain about the things that aren't going right. Yeah. And that there isn't cream cheese at Crafty. But to like wrangle a group with yeah. purpose and with mm-hmm. safety and with joy is a basic big family skill. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably what my teachers saw. So, you know, mamas are producers. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, I mean, I think that's why women are so well-suited, the women who are drawn to producing. Mm-hmm. It's so innate and you're you're so well-suited for it. Well, people say
1: that it's even an evolutionary thing. Yeah. That it was our job, you know, like women had to stay back and do multiple things at once. Right.
0: To protect the children, keep an eye out because they were anticipate Constantly. corral yeah anticipate corral keep everybody of all alive the, all the things that could be happening at any moment that could kill anyone yes and then that went away but our brains didn't our brains are still that. doing so it. So our brains still do that yeah and we're like okay what's the next fire what's the next fire and it's like just chill yeah it's, it's
1: hard it's i appreciate hard. i'm so glad to see you because we've been corresponding yeah. for a long time a I've long s- time i have so many questions about you and what you're doing i mean i read up on you but i always whenever i meet other producers I I like to know a lot about them, so I am I just want well, you to know you, that I
0: have the desire. You can ask me all the things <laughs> that you want to know. I, I also want to ask you how you get started and all these yeah. things, but... I've not been doing it for 25 years, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, but when I did get into producing, it was similar where it was like, oh, this is just so innate to who I am, like mm-hmm. this has been inside me my whole life, mm-hmm. like it's something that... The hard skills you can learn, but that thing you're talking about, that sort of like energetic corralling and pushing forward, and it's just something that is or is not inside you. You're either wired that way or you're not. Yeah. I believe it too. Producer um, to brain understand.
1: is a very particular thing, and the yeah. kind of producer brain, you know, the person I just hired to be an AP on my show with me, we met so many wonderful producer APs and so many wonderful people who've been like moving and shaking but I really was shopping for a particular kind of brain yeah. for this particular job what would you say that thing is a um, brain endless pursuit of every possible detail thinking it through breaking yeah. things down breaking big things down into small bits to and mm-hmm. then combing through every little bit of it yeah like being really thorough There are so many kinds of producers and there's so many kinds of jobs to do and there are so mm-hmm. many kinds of teams to be on to yeah. we were talking today about like some people thrive better on certain kinds of energy. It's better to just find your people, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. I think it's really helpful to have a big picture brain and also a minutia brain. And I have both. And she does too. Not a lot of producers do. Oh. And I
0: think that that is why, like, especially when you talk about physical production, mm-hmm. like you can have your line producer, UPM, who can be super dialed in to the minutiae, but yes. not so good at the macro. Yes. A lot of times or vice versa. Yeah. And then it's like the trifecta to have those two wirings of the brain and then also be a people person.
1: Right. <laughs> I know a lot of great pro- like line producers who are great at it but like not not too social. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's, that's okay. cool. Like
0: it's not, you know, the line producer position often is not one to be best friends with department heads, you know, unfortunately. <laughs> like it's but I think that as someone who's come up in physical production mm-hmm. like you can um, still lead with grace and kindness mm-hmm. you don't need to be best friends with everybody but you also don't need to be like a tyrant yeah. um, and be disliked so yeah I
1: had an, an old salty ex- like exec producer type a couple years ago tell me that if my employees weren't afraid of me then I was doing it wrong mm. and I was so happily at peace with knowing that I'm the opposite yeah and even getting my most recent AP on board, replacing another AP who moved on to Capital P Producing, you know, I could see her getting nervous at times or just wanting to do a good job and like yeah. working really hard. And I was like, look, all I want is for you to be empowered and mm. confident. Like, yeah. Why wouldn't I benefit from that? And also, I don't want to hang out with somebody who's freaked out. I really prefer to hire people who will cop to what they don't know and who are i have the kind of brain that's endlessly curious to keep learning because i rarely take projects i actually know how to do i mostly know how to do them but i i prefer frontiers like the series i run right now is a two-year longitudinal project for netflix has it aired yet no it'll be out in a year so are you allowed to say what it is or not no okay (laughs) I can tell you it shoots in six countries. It's oh, anthology strange. style. So we have directors in each country. But how exciting. It's glorious. That's awesome. I'm so happy about it. I'm happy I'm really for you. really grateful. It's amazing. It's been awesome.
0: Yeah. I want to back up real yes. quick. I have like a lot of things I still want to ask you. But sure. You've been saying AP, P, And for mm-hmm. the listeners, I just, would you mind describing what an AP is? And, sure. And just a quick like description of that versus Capital P producer and then define producer. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. I mean
1: associate producer in this situation, you know, I run this show. She's she's my right hand. Mm -hmm. She really is the glue. We could say I'm the glue, but I think she's actually the glue. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like my goal is for her to become the glue. I've been the one constant of the project from the beginning. Even when I was shopping for an associate producer for this one, I and, I, and a year ago when I hired somebody else who yeah. timed out with us, we thought the gig would end at the end of this year. It's going to end in the spring. So she was the one, my previous AP was the one who was like, we need to get somebody now. But with both of them, I was really clear with myself and with yeah. them that I was really looking for someone who was really busting out of the role, actually, and who mm. this might be the final stop as an associate producer. Yeah,
0: yeah. Who- and an associate producer just what normally
1: um well it depends on the scale and scope of the project for this one i can say that we're the we're with a production company that handles multiple projects and then we're with netflix which of course has thousands of projects (laughs) a couple few a handful thousand million um so she and I are the only two people specifically tasked on this particular project. Mm-hmm. It's so it's a weird shape. It's something Netflix has never done before, something our production company has never done before, but they're all very equipped to do it. Yeah. So in this case, like I always joke about like the larger the production, the less each person does in the smaller production, you know. So if we were doing a short film, then she would just be hauling us on everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> And we'd both be taking out the garbage, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it just depends. So in this case, she's handling all of the financial correspondence and reporting from all six of our territories. She is um, the first buffer for a lot of things that kind of come our way. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of the big picture planning, um, but she's the glue. She holds it together and she yeah. keeps things moving for when I, if I'm on a twelve to fifteen hour flight. She's the one who keeps everything moving while I'm gone. So she yeah. knows exactly everything that I have going on. She's CC'd on everything. So for her, she's the ultimate witness. Yeah. She's getting a full schooling on what it takes to run the six-part yeah. series for Netflix.
0: Well, which is amazing because I I have experienced sometimes that producers will purposely not like CC their right hand on everything, not give them the access yes. and the transparency to understand everything that's going on. And it's a weird psychological power play, I yes. think, which I find so stupid because it only benefits you to have a person who can help keep you accountable and remind you of like things that it goes so fast you know and anybody who comes up under me that I have the privilege of you know bestowing the little bit that I've I've (laughs) learned that is so important to me is that they they know everything that's happening I am Overly annoying. I send a ton of voice memos, and I'm like, just so you know, this is why I'm doing this this way, and this is why I'm asking you to do this. Why
1: would you ever miss out on having a second brain with yeah. you? Yeah, a second brain that you chose and that you are shaping. Unless you don't trust the brain you chose, in which case that's a separate. And there are lots problem. of different kinds of producers. So yeah. I, someone I used to work with who had worked with a different producer for several years and really been through the trenches, mm-hmm. and I slowly learned that that other producer who's great at what they do never actually wanted to hear from the ap just wanted the ap to get stuff done yeah i totally respect that sentiment but i had in my company one of the more intelligent pragmatic strategic kind mm. sweet smart you like um thoughtful careful um uh Exact. Wow, that's a lot of great adjectives. People I've ever yeah. hired. And I was like, what a fucking loss yeah. to not hear from this person. And mm-hmm. I could tell that she wasn't accustomed to being um, heard. And, and she would even speak in a low voice. And by the time we finished with each other, I just was like, I want to hear from you. I can't even fathom being in a job this large where I um, wasn't going to hear from this other brilliant person I mm-hmm. hired. Um, and... <laughs> It took her it took her a while, but she's actually a very opinionated person, yeah, and I would you know, I wanted to hear her strategy. I always tell people I work with, i'm I'm so fine to hear your opinion about how it should be done. I might do an override, but I like the perspective. Mm-hmm. Half the time I might adopt that. yeah, so, I'd rather just have everybody very empowered and yes. very and, lit and,
0: up. And just the idea that it is a collaboration at every step of the way, you know, and it's like best idea wins. There's no ego in the room. That's how it should be in my mm-hmm. opinion. But it doesn't, it's like sometimes feels pie in the sky. Right. You know, not everybody subscribes to well, that. Well,
1: team to team, you're going to be in l- yeah. varying levels of health of a team. Yes. <laughs> Which is why I think, that, you know,
0: doing this show is so important because mm-hmm. I can literally talk to every single producer in this town and I hope, I do, but the, you know, I'll be like 60 by the time I'm done doing the podcast,
1: but oh. you're doing a great, you have a, you're doing a great job. At it. Thank you. Yeah. But I mean, like
0: for every one person that describes one thing, one way, there is another team that's going to describe it completely differently.
1: Half the time when I do workshops and I haven't done a workshop this year, which feels weird, but I, there's just been no option for it. Um, You know, people are so freaked out about how are things done? What do I do? How is it done? And there are some ways that things yeah. are done, but the sooner you embrace the fact that, you can tailor this business to mm-hmm. who you are and all that. But also this distraction with like, oh, changing who you are to fit in with a team. is like, just go find your people. Yeah, Go find your people. Try uh, try out teams. Try out different situations. Think about harvestable qualities. That's how I really approached producing in my 20s. It's like, or gigs that I had or weird jobs I had. It was like, a lot of these things also ap- apply to dating. <laughs> <laughs> but you can just be like, oh, okay, this isn't for me. Yeah. But here's something I liked about it. Here's something here's left, the lesson, I can't right? do again. Here's the growth. Yeah. Here's a harvestable quality I like in that person. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna look for that quality again. I can say with the utmost sincerity and simplicity that every director I hired on this series is a really good hang. And they're also doing a really great job directing their films. Yeah. Or vice versa. Neither of those comes first. You know, I'm so delighted that they're all such wonderful people. They're all yeah. so good. We've hired them to be auteurs. So they're all creating a film that's Really, their own vision within the larger theme of the show. My job and my AP's job is to keep those guys rolling, and for me, for me, my job is to guide them within the parameters of the series, give them hints towards things that would be helpful. Yeah, um, it was a big choice for me to not actually direct anything for two years. I had mm-hmm. the I had the option to like if I want to go shoot a short or something real quick, I could, but given the circumstances of the year, with I was in a car accident, I just couldn't. I I have I have two sides of my brain that. I, I really came into a balance in the last like 15 years that I'm really mm. grateful for. I have a very far out, I wouldn't say chaotic, but a very far out, dreamy, uh, creative brain. Mm. Um, and then I have a really exact, like minutiae um, precision brain and a logistics brain. And I didn't discover them until my late 20s. If you had told me in high school that I would be like a master of spreadsheets and budgets and accounting (laughs) and stuff, I'd be like, you're insane. Yeah. I almost didn't graduate high school because of math. That's crazy. And then I worked for a finance company in my late 20s. And all of a sudden, an entire chamber of my mind cracked open. It's unlocked, yeah. Yeah. And then I was able to access this whole other thing. So now as a filmmaker and as a creative and also as a pragmatist, Mm -hmm those parts of my brain now trust each other yeah that they're all going to have their chance
0: do you feel like you still live in one more than the other or does it just depend on the project
1: i think now that i'm a year and a half into a two-year project of showrunning a series (laughs) in six countries i'm definitely spending more time in the producing side of my brain than i want to be but you know we're getting into the editorial process and I deeply adore all my directors and I think they really trust me so I'm oftentimes restructuring their cuts in my head and giving really strong like director notes that I basically say like none of this is prescriptive you don't have to do this but Mm. here's your cheat sheet if you want any of my notes from your transcript so That's coming back into play. But no, I I go back and forth between the two. So I feel a little imbalanced right now, but I don't mind. Showrunning is the dream I never knew I had. Will you define what
0: is a showrunner, what a (laughs) showrunner does, and then specifically with what you're doing on this job? Because it's so Well, you know,
1: producing is is maintaining the creative vision of a show. But a year and a half ago, I was handed um, a... Concept a budget and six territories and I I have in the past year and a half built the creative financial and legal infrastructure for the entire series Um, with the help of the production company guiding me through like what they do and what Netflix prefers but still like Even though we're all on the same team all three parties of Mm us I, I as an independent and then the production company and Netflix and we all are very well aligned in the future of the show I actually hold the dream of the show in my hands, the vision of the show in my hands and keep it safe from all the other parties at times. Mm -hmm. Like I'm the one paying the most attention. I keep its soul alive. And then, of course, I get great reminders from those teams about other things to be mindful of stuff. But I'm the one who like holds that candle the whole time and and protects the show and, and helps it thrive with all of those voices. You know, it's a little bit of an aside, but I, I, a f- few different friends have written to me this year, asked for consults this year on like getting into show running and like should they do it or whatever And I was like, well in the meeting you need to go in and find out if the network or platform it's with is the right match for it because you're actually going to live the, the edge of, of, of it if you're if it's not. Mm. like if it's not a good match, yeah it's not a healthy place for the project, that tension is yours to live out every day on a creative, financial and legal and logistical level. That sounds so great. I love (laughs) it.
0: (laughs) Well, when it goes right, it sounds amazing, but if it's not going well. Then I can see how it's a nightmare. But so then, is then the kind of show running you're doing it's Mm -hmm. it's just a shade of producing then
1: yes i've been learning that oftentimes they'll have showrunners paired up with other showrunners because they complete each other Hmm. you know what i mean like there are different ways Mm -hmm. and this is a a show where i either had the option to direct the american episode or run the show and i chose to run the show because and this particular one because it's a longitudinal thing i couldn't do both um so it is different from like a 20 up ep- 22 episode thing right, or like right, a 10 right. episode thing We're six episodes it's just very unusual whereas the drama series that i'll take on next um i will be a you know a co-writing ep but they already have a vision for it so i spent a lot of a, t- a lot of time making sure we're in alignment about yeah. the approach because i'm I'm not interested in being at war with anyone, you know? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And it'll be a different shape than I'm doing. The series I'm doing now is like, I I have a long history both in doc and fiction. I always tell people, first and foremost, I love stories and storytelling. It doesn't matter to me whether it's fiction or not. I have two kinds of shows in my life. I have TV shows that I listen to while I'm cooking or doing laundry where I don't have to look at every frame. Mm -hmm. And then I have stuff I lie down for and I watch every frame of. And I really prefer to lie down because I don't want to miss one shot. I don't yeah. want to miss one moment. I love a large master plan that I realize I'm starting to be scooped into.
0: So back me up again to Sure. Like how did you get to where you are then? Like how <laughs> you know from from a teacher telling you you should be doing this producing thing and you stumbling upon this short in San Francisco? how do you then get to LA and then what is the journey to that first thing that made you feel like okay I think I'm making it I think I'm on the path to whatever this making it is
1: producing that short was a great high yeah I really loved it the director and I really jived um, I really adored him he was a, a Spaniard going to my college you know he was just a <laughs> Spanish kid going to my college and He had gotten some really great funding from HBO Latin America and it was an English language short, but it was dramatic and shot on film. And I just remember like it was in San Francisco, 1997, probably, and maybe 98. And I remember knowing what kind of shot we wanted and what kind of scale we wanted to the project. I said, well, why don't we try a scissor lift? I don't know how I knew about a scissor lift, but I did. (laughs) I think because I have four brothers Two of them work in, one's an interior designer architect and the other one is a stonemason bricklayer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I must have known about scissor lifts from them. From them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I remember thinking like, you know, what we should do is get this shot of the street and we should get the main character like walking down the street and it, we were on like a $7,000 budget, yeah. which was a lot of money in 1997. Yes, 98, short, yeah. But it was shot on film, so there it all goes. Yeah. But, was, but that's know, all there was back then. It's really. all there was. Yeah. But I remember being like, we should get a scissor lift. And the director was like, that'd be amazing, but like, that's gotta be so, that's crazy. Like, how are we gonna get it here? It's gonna be so expensive. And I found one for 50 bucks. Oh my God. And this is, you know, before. So smartphones or cell phones and this is like yellow pages Mm
0: -hmm. this is (laughs) pre-internet like the internet was a luxury
1: yeah it was dial-ups barely there Mm -hmm. so yeah I used the yellow pages and I had a scissor lift delivered and picked up for 50 bucks for the day (laughs) that shot was gorgeous yeah so there's a little high off that yeah and then also just being part of a team and part you know being part of the health and happiness of the team and part mm-hmm. of its culture and was also a really happy thing. But over the years, yeah, I produced, I always was producing stuff on the side, even when I was in film school, I was producing that on the side. And then when I left film school, I worked for a commercial edit house. My plan was still to become a director. I put myself through college. Um, doing data entry and um, fit modeling, trying on clothes. Mm-hmm. I was a body. Mm-hmm. And I used to – I remember I was studying editing, editing then, and I would um, – I loved the fit modeling because I it took nothing of my mind. <laughs> <laughs> it absolutely required zero of my intellect. Yeah. I would just stand there while they pinned clothes on me, and then everyone's like, I'd have to walk it. You know, like that was it. <laughs> yeah. And they'd, sometimes it'd they'd be like, Zan, Zan. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, sorry. But I would stand there and do my editing homework in my head. Yeah. And then I'd go, I'd leave from there and then go edit. Yeah. And just assemble it. But I would do the whole thing in my brain. And, um, but anyway, so then I worked in the commercial post house and then I kept producing things on the side, music videos and, um short films and In stuff. In San Francisco? San Francisco, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I started to observe more a lot of the um, produce, commercial producers we worked with. We were working kind of on the dot-com boom. Um, so we did a lot of really famous commercials and that was kind of exciting, but yeah. um, I had a very juicy pear before you came over. Um, <laughs> excuse me. I want everyone to say that to <laughs> no. me from now
0: now on before. Like, I had a juicy pear. I had a very
1: juicy Korean pear before you came over. <laughs> um, it made me very happy um but I I don't know over the years I kept putting things together and even when I moved back to Chicago I was working for a finance company um because I had been temping there and um but at the same time on the side I was new to Chicago as an adult I was I had been to a really crappy showcase of short films at a cool bar and i remember being so bummed out by the vibe by what they showed everything and i was like you know what i want i'm gonna make my dream show so i started curating shows of short films in like a really awesome environment that was non-academic and non um, non non-festival and it was it was built as a social gathering it was structured it's not about winning it's it's just no yeah and we showed an amazing variety of things always from like rookies to like veterans of filmmaking and it was always built on a theme yeah we it was such a fun just a really amazing event and doing that i got crazy highs from like i really loved and i had done other things i'd freelanced a bunch before that Mm. but building that show and having it be the signature of what I wanted and then collaborating with other people to make it work. And then I learned how to incorporate it as a non, I took a class on how to incorporate a nonprofit. And then I did all my paperwork, which was like I had a pool table in my apartment at the time. And I remember I had every page of it out on the pool. T- it was like 78 pages and each one had a little <laughs> rock on it to hold it in place. And I, I really locked into like the crazy minutiae brain at that point and all the yeah. excellence, but also the enjoyment of that, it, both were important to me. is like having that solitary time to think and dream it up, but also having that uh, fruition moment of sharing this time. And that made me very sensitive to sitting in a room full of a captive audience with decisions I made. That's like more of a director brain that's like, I just made all these decisions creatively to bring all these films into their lives, to ask them to pay money, to ask them to sit down. And if it was bad, I had to live through that. And if it was great, I got to enjoy that. And that really, I still draw on that constantly. And even, yeah. like, I can fill in the blanks, but even by the time I jumped to Room 104, which is an anthology show where my job was to think of endless possibilities for one room, I still used a lot of what I learned running my short film show from building an anthology show. Mm. And so just like keeping these harvestable things over the years, like there are pathways in your brain that you start to... That help you build resolve, help you know when to be open to something and when you know when to just be like, no, I think it should be this way because this. Yep. And then on the side, I had started directing things too. I just always had things going on. Yeah. Music videos and um, music videos are amazing because anything can happen in them. Mm -hmm. And I had my short film show before YouTube was really anything. So we, I got to build into this great thing. We took it like high art, low art. And then we started... Um, providing programming for international film festivals and programming blocks. And then I built a formula for paying the filmmakers their tiny percentages. And it was fun. So I I got really, I think I really stepped into the producer shoes in a confident way then. But yeah, I also decided back then that I want to learn till I die. So there's never a moment that I declare myself finished and complete. And like, I'm really rolling in it now because I produce. It's like, every project brings new challenges, new things to figure out. Part of why I chose the one that I'm on right now is like, it was a big choice for me to do like essentially a two year buyout of my life. But I was like, I'm about to go on an odyssey I've never been on before. Mm. And that's deeply compelling to me.
0: So how do you, in the middle of an odyssey and with all the things you've been juggling for these 20 plus years, find time for balance, find Mm. time for other things, self care?
1: Mm -hmm. Great question. I, uh, until my late thirties used to pull insane hours and I, it was one of my super powers was to be the last one to bed and the first one up. And I loved it. And I, there's a certain kind of thought you have in the middle of the night and there's a certain kind of thought you have in the daytime. And I loved all those phases. Mm. I, I am a really sensitive person. Um, so I don't have a body that's going to let me abuse it for very long. So I can say that, I feel like I used up all of my (laughs) thirties. Do you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) yeah, I pulled amazing, serious hours. Yeah. And towards the end of working like that, where I was like line producing, like creative producing, like everything producing, just taking out the trash, like, you know, going (laughs) to the post office, all those things. I, I'm glad that part is over. I still keep a rigorous life. I still work. And I think constantly about all the projects, but i'm getting more and more used to taking different kinds of breaks really tailoring my workday to how my rhythms are i also give myself days that are more creative and days that are more logistical on purpose and i don't ask those two worlds to battle anymore so hmm.
0: when
1: i am not on a, any when i'm on, not on someone else's project and i'm just on my own project I will have days where I just bang out logistical things and pragmatic and strategic things, and then I have days where I give myself a chance to be far out, to have crazy thoughts, to write down ideas, to pursue a thought for the day. Yeah, you know, like an idea for a day. Or um, one time I was drive, I was on a five hour drive by myself, and I had it was, it was after, it was the spring after we had wrapped this first season of Room One Hundred Four. And there was an episode I I had I created several episodes, but one of them I created, I could never quite get it to sit in the room of 104. Mm. And on the beginning of that drive, I was like, I asked that story if it wanted out of the room. And it was like, yeah, let me show you all these endless possibilities. So I spent five hours on that drive building out that entire story. And then when I got back, I wrote it down. <laughs> Which episode was it? Um, It never aired. It's Mm. still mine to have. Amazing. Um, I wrote lots of drafts of it. Mark and I worked on it for a while. But um, it's really fun to be able to take it and run with it. I also give myself unstructured days. Mm. On days when I'm not on somebody else's clock, I'll have a day where I'm like, I'm going to go hike. I'm going to take these couple of thoughts with me and see which one is a puzzle the whole time I'm gone. Yeah. And I do that. Um, My new my new high in the last few years is the discovery that resting gets things done. <laughs> uh, I used to experience and enact the opposite and that was a yeah. great time in my life, but I now get so much done having rested. I get a lot done. I still eat at my desk. I still do stupid shit, walking to the car, texting, whatever, but more often I will get up and go eat in the patio outside my office and just eat and let my thoughts be. Cause also part of my job here is to, think big picture to smell things that don't smell right to intuit and anticipate things coming down the pipeline Mm. to hold the whole show together. And if I don't have moments where I can have those kinds of thoughts, I'm not going to do a great job. And of course, it had to be incentivized a little bit for me. But between high school and before I went to film school, I did a two year program in Western herbal medicine and studied how to take care of the body and read the body. And so that's the secret. That's one of the secrets. It's one of the early investments I made in my wellness. Um, Even though I really abused myself sleep wise and rigor wise in my 30s. Do you regret it? No, I don't. Yeah. No, I got so much done. I achieved so much. I pulled off so much. I learned so much. I think building a habit and relationship with yourself, whoever you are, however your brain works, however your body wants to communicate with you is the jam. Yeah, but you
0: you felt like you were able to do that early on. So then that's how you were able to sustain this marathon for so long. And now obviously yeah you've you've kinda like slowed down a little bit.
1: I was so I'm still obsessed, but in a different way. But I was so obsessed with what I was pursuing, what I wanted to try and who I wanted to collaborate with and what I wanted to do and what I wanted to achieve that I just followed the shiniest rock. You know, like I just kept going with Anything that was glimmering in the distance, and that did often mean that I w- pulled insane yeah. hours.
0: But where did that come from? That obsession, the drive. Yeah. Um, what I, is it that you were
1: after? Well, it's it's a few a few things are in that recipe. <laughs> 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 One is long time desire. The other is seeing that I actually have the power to do so. The other is knowing that I can get a taste and that I want to keep tasting it some more. Mm. The other is that I made myself proud. The other is that I would betray myself or fuck up and I wanted another chance. I always tell people, like, I I have so many things I want to do before I die, however long that may last. Mm-hmm. All I want is a chance to keep trying again. I want a chance to... I learn so fast when doing I'm not an academic. I've never preferred academic environments. I do not like to sit to learn. I like to be up and doing. Mm -hmm. And I learn stuff fast. I course correct pretty quickly. I'm very decisive. I'm learning how to be more forgiving of myself for decisions that I make. Like, it's a 50-50. What did I do? Oh, shit, that was the wrong one. Well, how is that going? Really good. I had a great mentor five years ago who was just like, look. (laughs) (laughs) You can just make a choice. Do your homework. Like, Research things, make a choice, do it. As soon as you find out it wasn't the right choice, course correct, get on with it, forgive yourself. And I've been trying to put that into motion for the last five years and it's been working. Yeah. yeah. So in
0: times when things in your career, in your life haven't Mm -hmm. really worked out or haven't, Now that you've learned to course correct and forgive yourself, but Mm -hmm. in in the past where maybe you haven't and you've gone through periods, I'm assuming in your career of like challenges where things weren't
1: landing, where I had some very dark challenges, some normal rites of passage.
0: This is the stuff that I'm obsessed (laughs) with. This is the stuff that like I'm a junkie for Mm -hmm. is I want to talk about that those times and how you got out of that. What kept you pushing through because Mm -hmm. you seem to really love producing i love it and i've met a lot of people who love it they love it Mm -hmm. but they don't like love it and you have this like thing inside you i love it the more
1: and more that i get to know myself and and the more i do it on my terms the more i love it i think if you told me when i was 17 that i was going to be producing for 25 30 40 years i'd be like no thanks not interested because i hadn't really seen a lot of examples of it looking awesome especially when i was working in commercial post a lot of those producers were Frazzled and freaked out and stuff. I was like, yeah, not nothing there. I want to emulate.
0: Right. But given how much it can take Mm -hmm. from you, from your soul, from your energy, from, it's just can be a very draining, um, you know, job where you don't get the time to sort of reset. Yeah. How then did you keep going? What did you do? What was it about it that kept you
1: just kind of like on good days? I remind myself that I'm here to gather wisdom and on bad days, I think, well, what was I thinking? I never wanted to do this in the first place. Mm-hmm. I misdirecting, directing. But I straight up now know that producer Zan is breadwinner for director Zan. And now that I get that that's what's up, I'm pumped. Yeah. I'm making the best money of my life proudly and without apology. You shouldn't. And, that's and if that's going to buy more opportunities, not so much more creative opportunities and creative space for there never to be pressure on directors and um like i don't have to make any gig decision based on surviving Mm -hmm. as a director as a creative i also really at this point in my life prefer creative producing i don't just do straight i can i can do all kinds of producing yeah but this one i prefer the creative producing built like taking a project, building a culture for it, building a society around it, building an audience for it. Like mm-hmm. all of those things mm-hmm. are great. Yeah. How do I get back up on the horse? Oh, I, I, I think some of the greatest filmmakers ever, um, maybe every few years think they're going to quit. You know, I, yeah. I'd, I'd say once every five years I'm ready to leave the business yeah. and pursue my other st- stuff that doesn't hurt as bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll have a glimmer and I'll have a thought yeah. or I'll meet a person and I'll get really excited or I think it's worth, worth it. But I also set up parameters for myself. I try and make it better for myself and more humane every time. Mm. And I'm also really trying to offer humane work environments. I wanna be very consciously, not. I don't wanna be, I am very consciously part of the paradigm shift that we're enacting right now, which is essentially putting the old school business built on rape culture and of abusing the working class I want to put that whole paradigm into a shift. And I want to put that whole way of doing things into hospice care and send it gently (laughs) out with gratitude. Like, thanks for building this the way it was. But I remember in the nineties, I I worked with a producer. I I still really admire her and I'm so grateful to her, but I also remember watching her do her job. And she was like an old battle axe producer who had produced through the eighties and into the nineties when Mm -hmm. I met her. And she used to call me Zan the man. And one day somebody was like, why do you call Zan the man? And she said, well, she gets shit done like a man. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to shift how I do things because I don't want to get things done like a man. I want to get things done like a Zan, you know, like, <laughs> but this idea that like you have to be, um, ready for battle. You right. have to be ready to, um, yeah. Leaning
0: into the hyper masculine version of your personality. just wasn't right? going to
1: suit me. Yeah. And, um, you know, I can definitely lead. I'm definitely an alpha. I'm definitely a collaborator. I'm definitely have an opinion. Mm-hmm. So my job is to keep getting better at what I do, become more aligned with what I'm really interested in doing. Yeah. The more I can buy myself that opportunity with time and money. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, all the gentle, like beautiful, <laughs> um, bits of decisions based on painful wisdom or what you try and build over time and the more I can that's why I love doing workshops it's why I love consulting it's why I love um you know I tell my APs like if you would like to be micromanaged let me know like I have plenty to share and shape for you and if you want stories I've got them but Mm -hmm. like you know just trying to stay on course and keep making it enjoyable you know when people say to me like because I'm from the midwest and I love being in rural places. I love being in places that have nothing to do with the business we're in. But every once in a yeah. while well, people talk about like like the Hollywood elite and stuff. And I'm like, you're talking about like 17 people. What I think of when I think of this business is I think of thousands and thousands of working class people right. who are wanting to be part of something lovely and awesome and badass and smart and yeah. great, something that gets seen. And they also want to see their families and get home safe. Yeah. You know, like people have their war stories, but I'm like, what's the nobility in that? If really what you made was TV or movies
0: to speak on the culture shift, I think sure. that the the wave of people coming up underneath us, the younger generations are sort of already coming into it from what I've observed and mm-hmm. working with people like in their 30s and younger already coming into it from a place of equality yes which is gorgeous really nice, I which love is amazing it. and, and mm-hmm. support and there's no you know you're this and you're that and you're supposed to stay in your place of course there's still that because that's we're not well know, I told my AP today because yeah, we were but... clarifying
1: some some ways that we're going to be spending our time and like with the balance of priority and stuff yeah. but I just told her I was like I actively think of you as my co-worker I am leading this we're gonna do things to my preference i'm open to your opinions about stuff let's keep streamlining this the way that works for both of us but like i don't sit around thinking like she's two minutes late i'm her boss show me the money it's like you have a job to do you have a job to do well show me all the ways i can empower you to get it done really well Mm -hmm. and let's lift up that boat and keep going yeah it's more fun that way.
0: I say this often, but if, if all we can control is the experience that we can create for people, because Correct. the end result is very completely outside of our control. It is it absolutely is out illusion, of your hands. Yes. Right, it is an illusion. You can do your best and have the best intentions, but we've all seen the many things in Hollywood with the best of intentions be terrible. Well, I've, seen, I've also
1: seen beautiful, amazing films come out at the wrong time.
0: Yeah. But if, <laughs> but if, that's the, if that is what we're here to create, then then how are you creating that experience by being a person who is operating at that vibrating at that frequency, you know? And I think sometimes there's just the people, there are broken people that are drawn to this business. There's a lot of the ego and all of the things that, um, kind of, allows the sort of like gestation of that but I think those people are on the outs from yeah what and there's also a place
1: know? and a team for everyone yes and some people need, and some people need that and yes. more
0: power to them because I don't I don't yeah. need that I don't need to come home and and I don't want to have to question my worth because someone else wants to make me feel small like it's already hard enough you know that it, yeah. there's already enough challenges and things that I I want to like decompress at the end of the day and I don't want one of them to be something related to self-worth and I have worked under people when I was coming up who who thrived in that and making you feel small and I was like man like when I have the power Mm -hmm. to bring up people under me like I never want someone to feel that way yeah you know of course I don't want to be stepped all over as a boss I think you can still like I said lead from a place of integrity and strength without being Um, a warm mom type Uh you know I was
1: hiking with my brother on my birthday earlier this year in January and he's a first-time dog owner and his he's definitely the boss and they're definitely partners I I was walking my dog my brother was walking his dog but his dog he let her off leash but she took off she ran in Griffith Park she ran like deep into her she was a speck in the ravine below us he never screamed at her He never got crazy or put any panic in his voice. And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, I wouldn't want to run back to someone screaming at me. Mm. He's like, I have to just tell her that the fun's over here. (laughs) I have to tell her that she's safe with me. He's like, my job isn't to abuse her when she gets back or abuse her while she's gone. Why would she run back to me if she hears that I'm so mad at her? She could just take off and have a better time with herself. Right. And I was like, that's actually how I try and run my business. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, though. Yeah. 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 I, I I, don't want people freaked out. I'm too sensitive to have people freaked yeah. out near me.
0: Exactly. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. We can create that space for others. And I think that it is part of our responsibility. You it's know, it's an producers. unusual
1: and rare profession, right? And I had an experience in Room 104 that is with me all the time and that like we're all all of us are always over leveraged into our dream. Like half of us are doing gigs that our relatives don't understand. You know, for a long time, my mom didn't understand what a producer was and my mom's mm-hmm. really intelligent and knows who I am. But she still was like, I don't get it. And I would, I love telling people like, done very well, producing seems like it's not a job. Right. Done poorly, everyone suffers. Yes. I had this experience on Room 104 where I was the senior most producer on set every day, you know, and I remember we had... A young actor who was, um, it was his first big show, you know, and he had agreed to do some nudity. And he was the loveliest dude, and he was very safe with all of us. Mm -hmm. But I had a moment in the day where I could see he was very keen to do a good job. He was very keen to make sure that we were all happy. And there was a moment at the end of the day where he was not doing anything untoward. I was not doing anything untoward. But I was like, oh, this is the kind of moment or if I were the wrong person, I'd go into this person's room and manipulate him. Mm. Mentally, emotionally, sexually, whatever. I have that power in that moment. And yeah. I was like, all of these people's lives are in my hands. They're in command of their own lives and they're all grown adults and stuff. But I I had this moment where I was like, oh, this is where it lives. This is where those moments actually live. Mm. Is that I, I'm clearly the boss here. And he just wants his big break yeah he's he's like no i was so comfortable i felt so safe today and i'm like i'm really happy and he was like i was really nervous and i just was like please let this be the standard for you and don't let anything diverge from this yeah if you had a great experience if you felt like you were treated well accept nothing less yeah but yeah i went home that night and i was like wow i i could have done anything yeah he may not have gone with it, but like, I I saw how this whole shit is built and what we're tearing down. Exactly, right now. it's like
0: in that moment, a person with different intention could have ruined this boy's life.
1: Yeah, you know, male actors, female actors, all of them have had a moment where they're just like, I just was trying to do a good job. I was overleveraged into my dream. Yeah, and this person was employing me. Yeah, like, it sucks. So anyway. That. Anyway,
0: well, we are getting close to an hour. Oh, even no. Though, like, I could talk forever. I hope we got
1: to the point for you. I don't no, know what we, we did. We did. we even we, talk about anything? We talked
0: about a <laughs> bunch of awesome things. Are you kidding me? It's, it, it, I love doing these because the conversations just always go where they want to go. Mm-hmm. I always research and do, you know, have a ton of questions. But yeah. it's always, it's not... I'm not doing inside the actor studio <laughs> with you and archiving your career. It's you in this moment in time in your yeah. career. And if we interviewed a week from today, it would be totally different, you know, and that's yeah. kind of what I love about it is just, just this time capsule of today mm. in this moment. Yeah, we'll and come back. We can come back. But no, I'm, I, I always like to end, you know, as, asking you if there's any advice you would give to. Um, so I always think of someone young who is mm-hmm. in college and is potentially wanting to be in this business. And only thinks of the five main archetypes of what mm-hmm. jobs exist and potentially has the wiring for producing mm-hmm. um, and thinks, wow, okay, Zan talked about being a creative like producer and mm-hmm. a showrunner. Like I think I want to do that
1: one day. Yeah. And
0: what advice you would give to someone who wants to sort of mirror the mm-hmm. path that you've had?
1: Mirror and emulate as you like. Tailor as much as you want. Mm. Like keep looking for harvestable qualities, and then keep knowing that you can find your people and build your community. Your real wealth in this business with money that will come and go is your community you build, how people learn to rely on you. I I don't work with anybody I don't respect yeah I just can't yeah so it's really important and then also just like remember nobody really knows what they're doing (laughs) (laughs) oh it's so true and then if you're really on a real adventure you're going to take projects that you don't know how to do other people don't prefer it and they come from different places in their lives like where they they would rather I have a friend who who produces an unbelievable amount of reality shows and it's her niche and she loves it and she's thriving yeah it's great for this part of her life she's satisfied and we always laugh. She's like, there's so much uncertainty in what you do. And I was like, I know. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> the advice I would give is do not become distracted. Do not have much energy. Do not spend all this time trying to find someone to open a door for you. I've been saying this for years in workshops. I've been saying it for more than 10 years in consultation that you are the door. Mm. There is no door. You are the door. Because if there's someone who opens the door for you, then they can also close it for you, and if you're the door. And people distract themselves. They're always like, how do I get an agent? When do I get an agent? What do I gotta do? Like, looking for all these things that are supposed to help you, those things will really only, you really only want them to come your way on your terms when you've created a honey trap for them. (laughs) Do you know (laughs) what I mean? Yes. So your real energy should be spent building your community, finding your people, if you're not comfortable, if you don't feel lifted and energized and challenged, but truly excited and like you show up as yourself in a team, it's not your team. Yeah. Get the job done. Get it done well. Get out and find your people or or, or build a place for your people. You're not going to get an agent until you end up someplace visible mm-hmm. and they come to you. So yeah, spend 10% of your energy networking and getting to know people and being reliable. But- You know, the gig I'm on now, I met those guys three and a half years ago at a job interview for one of their existing shows. I was really upset because when I got there after the phone interview, they're like, we're not going to hire you to um, be a field producer on this one. We want to give you a a show to run someday. We see it in you. And I was like, that's amazing. When's that going to be? You know, like (laughs) we developed another show together while I was developing Room 104 with Mark Duplass. Very weirdly, I don't know if this will ever happen in my life again. I plan on it happening in my life again. But on the, on the Monday, Mark asked me to develop Room 104 with them. On Wednesday, these guys asked me to develop another show with them. I took both because I'm a scrappy You're <laughs> independent. You're like, figure it out. <laughs> well, things go poof all the time. Like yeah. develop a show that guarantees me nothing. Yeah. Um. And then I worked on both for several months. And then weirdly, they were greenlit within a couple within 48 hours of each other. Several months later, I choose Room 104. And then I stayed in touch, you know, those other guys from the time that they told me they wanted me to run a show for them someday to the time they hired me was, uh, you know, uh, two or three years of me checking in quarterly,
0: you know, that um, long
1: the long game of
0: yeah. checking in and following up and staying in touch.
1: One of the more, can I gloat about one of the more satisfying things that's happened yes, to me in the please. last year? I want you to gloat. <laughs> I want
0: your pinch me moment.
1: A year and a half ago. I was, I just directed a bunch of music videos. I had created several new shows that I was building out on my own. Mm. I was kind of extricating from Room 104 and moving on from that. And I started going and talking to agencies. I had friends introduce me or recommend their agents and start going to talk to people because I did want to explore here's the advice right is you need to have a vision for where you want to go it has to have lots of possibilities in it it has to be clear because then all you're going to do is align with people who are going to help you enact a vision you don't want to be part of their vision for you you want their input you want their strategy you want their pragmatism their perspective like anyone you put around you Mm. so I started to talk to agents and the agent that I really felt like I jived with the most. She said, we're going to have three conversations. First one, you're going to tell me everything that you've done. <laughs> then she's like, after that, then we're going to get together and you're going to tell me everything that you want to do. Yeah. And I was like, great. And she's like, then we'll meet and we'll talk about what I think we can do. And I appreciated her because other people were like, well, where, they want, wanted to know where they could plug me in, which is fine. That's the gig, right? Plug right. you into gigs, they make the percentage you get on with it. When I went to go see her, I walked into her office and two things I loved about that, meaning one was about her and one was about me. The thing I loved about her was that she wanted to know what my legacy looks like mm-hmm. and how she could help me build it. And that's one of my questions. Gorgeous so question. She was like, show me your big picture. But what I really want to gloat about is when I walked into her office, she said, what I want to know about you at this point is how you did all of this without an agent. And I said, it was a goal. Yeah. Yeah she's like god damn okay cool so what's your legacy look like you know i was like well i'll check in with you in a year because i already just got this other project yeah (laughs) she's like how'd you get that and i was like i built that through relationships but i had a really clear vision for what i wanted yeah and she knew what to do about it
0: yeah and so what is the answer what is what is your legacy what do you want to leave behind
1: i want to Keep trying, keep learning, having fun, and I want to affect people's hearts in what they view to build empathy, to um, give people a taste of worlds they have never seen before. I actually want to be part of the emotional healing of the planet. Beyond that, I chose this series because because when it comes out, I think it'll be good for the planet. And Mm -hmm. I thought that when I took the gig, and I can tell you a year and a half in, it's still true, and I couldn't be happier that I've spent a lot of time and energy and thought and heartbreak and yeah. hard work and long days for something I actually think will um, be like a warm, comforting fire to sit around.
0: Yeah, well, I can't wait to see it. I wish I could tell you more and from I from look now.
1: forward to telling you more when <laughs> I know. it comes
0: up. I can't wait to hear it, but thank you. Ugh, like It's always so worth the wait, just so you know.
1: Thank you for pursuing me for a couple of years. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. This is awesome.
0: And that's this week's episode of the show. Thank you so much for listening, for tuning in week after week. Hey, if you don't already, please subscribe, rate, review, like, wherever it is that you get your podcast. Tell a friend, tag a friend. Heck, tag me. I'd love to hear from you. I'm at Carolina Gropa. The show's at Life with Kaka. I look forward to seeing you next week. Beige.